0: It's time for your local weekly analysis Slow County Public Policy and the Law with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever. Hurrah, boys, hurrah. Down with the trade.
1: Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on News 98.5. This weekly Saturday program opens a window into local San Luis County public policy, policymakers, and the law affecting you. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. I've practiced law in San Luis Obispo County since 1978, handling court cases for the Democratic Party and Republican officeholders. It has been my privilege to serve as Superior Court Special Master and as an elected Port San Luis Harbor Commissioner. I help folks with estate planning, real estate law, and government law. This show brings you the officials, lawyers, and candidates who are or who want to shape law and local government. During this hour, we are pleased to be conversing with Charles Chuck Bell. Mr. Bell is a senior partner in the Sacramento law firm of Bell, McAndrews, and Hillcheck and he had the privilege from 1981 to 1993 and again from 1998 to 2017 to work as the general counsel for the California State Republican Party. He has advised and represented three former California governors, two presidential candidates, numerous California congressional and state office holders and candidates. Mr. Bell has also represented the rnc and the national republican senatorial committee and the national republican congressional committee in litigation and political matters he graduated from stanford law school as well as stanford university as an undergraduate and was admitted to the california bar in december of 1974. in demonstration of bipartisan lawyering mr bell joined with the general counsel of the california democratic party to preserve presidential party primary elections in the successful case of California Democratic Party versus Jones in 2000. But before that, Chuck Bell grew up here and graduated from Arroyo Grande High School, where he was an eagle. And there's a lot more, but let's hear it from Mr. Bell. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stu. I'm sure glad to be here. (laughs) Well, we're sure glad to have you. Well, you you grew up in Arroyo Grande uh, back when... uh, Gosh, there were more cows than people here in
0: San Luis Obispo County. Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. Well, my maternal grandparents uh, uh, were an Irishman and an Englishwoman. Uh-huh. And uh, he emigrated here from County Donegal in Ireland oh my. Uh, back in the uh, late uh, 1870s and was dry farming wheat out at the north end of the Carrizo uh, and uh,
1: where, when you're there, dry farming in the Carrizo, it's pretty dry.
0: right, yeah right. Uh, I think they had some years like this one where the, there was a lot of water up there for, the, but the, it was dry farming wheat, right? And uh, the, my grandmother was an English woman, a nurse who had come across a pond with a widow, and uh, they met in uh, Shalam of all places, Shandon. Yeah. And uh, he married, uh, they married in 1903, and he sold his ranch to the Twistleman family. they well known sure. uh, ranchers at the time. I think it became the Twistleman family homestead after he sold it to them. And he moved down to Carpenter Canyon and Arroyo Grande. So they've been here since about 1904.
1: And that's how you got here.
0: That's how I got here. <laughs>
1: Well, um, now, when you were uh, growing up in Arroyo Grande, uh, in fact, uh, my barber, uh, I think, was in your high school class, or close to that, and remembers you there. You were fairly successful, as I
0: recall, from his stories. Did you play sports? I played varsity tennis, Uh and uh, I think I won a few matches against the San Luis Obispo High School players.
1: The the Tigers are still upset about that. (laughs) Well, and uh, what else was significant about growing up in uh, Arroyo Grande that helped you, you know, formed you and molded you for the career that you later had?
0: Well, I think the small town uh, atmosphere of the place and and the friendliness of it was certainly a piece of it. Um, Actually, we lived in Pismo Beach part of the time on Pismo Heights and Mm -hmm. uh, just... I think uh, being able to sit out on my front steps in the morning and look all the way to Point Sal and yeah. uh, look at the ocean really was kind of something that settled into the soul, and that's really the reason I'm back here.
1: You you moved back here
0: uh, just a few years ago, didn't you? We, we bought a place in Halcyon in 2006. My wife had been here before, and uh, uh, we... Uh, uh, I w- we definitely wanted to come back, but we we didn't really move here until 2013, and uh, so I've lived here, uh, commuting for probably three and a half four years between here and Sacramento on a every other week basis. Uh, while I was more actively involved in the practice up there,
1: uh, the, and you're still involved in the practice uh, out yes of i Sacramento, am i'm still you?
0: part of the law firm i'm i'm nearly retired but uh, i'm in my 49th year of practice uh, and uh, i'm not sure if i want to be a 49er or go go right. for 50 go for the total 50 right
1: <laughs> the half a century right
0: yeah well um
1: in some I mentioned California Democratic Party versus Jones Um, I uh, in some of my cases I worked with Lance Olson who was the general counsel of the Democratic Party for the state and uh, he was uh, he would always tell me about how the two of you teamed up in that case Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that
0: sure well it's it's one of the highlights of my legal career but uh, also I think uh, Uh, a good lesson about bipartisanship and politics, uh, something that I think uh, uh, is is lost right in in the present time with all of the partisan controversy. But um, uh, that case uh, was one involving uh, uh, the partisan primary that we used to have but no longer have. uh, And uh, uh, at that Voters passed a measure which would uh, create uh, uh, basically a, what's an open primary, a blanket primary, they called it, and uh, uh, the parties felt that it was an intrusion into their independence and also their right, uh, rights under the First Amendment, spe- speech and association rights, and so we sued.
1: Because the way it, it worked was a Republican could vote in a Democratic primary essentially since it was a totally open primary, a Republican could vote for in the Democratic primary. You had folks who would uh, sit down and say, "Well, who can I vote for who will be the worst candidate in the other party?"
0: Uh, and, and Well, that was the threat of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, uh, I think parties at the time, and parties in many ways still believe that uh, there are associations of people, like-minded people, who share uh, general, maybe very broad, uh, political values and positions on issues, and that uh, the association, the members of the association, ought to be able to pick who they choose as their standard-bearer and not have people uh, who are not members of that party participating at that stage in the process. Of course, the general election, everybody uh, it's it's open that's a choice between whoever gets to be on that ballot uh, right at the, in those days uh, uh, we had any political party that was qualified in the state uh, could uh, have someone in the general election runoff and um, today with the top two only two people get in and there's no guarantee for example uh, that uh, you won't have two Democrats or at least in the current times, less likely two Republicans running against one another in the general election under that system.
1: And um, it, in the presidential primaries, it's still uh, possible for each party to uh, field their candidate. But now on the—everybody uh, calls them the lower offices, but they're actually the offices closer to the people— um like uh, governor or um, assembly person the we now have the top two system for that, don 't
0: we that's right that's right uh, and uh, what happened was that uh, the Democratic and Republican parties in this state joined together in this case to challenge uh, an enactment by the voters that created this blanket primary system and um, uh, we had a big trial in the uh, federal district court and uh, the ninth circuit uh, district court affirmed or upheld uh, the blanket primary against our challenge Mm -hmm. the ninth circuit on appeal affirmed that decision and so we went to the supreme court now it's it's the supreme court gets to choose whether or not it takes cases there's no automatic right of appeal but we felt we had an important issue here, and that uh, case law precedent to that time uh, would support a challenge. And,
1: and I think for our listeners, the the U.S. Supreme Court uh, generally takes between 100 and 150 cases a year at most. At most. And so uh,
0: the fact that they took your case was actually a pretty big deal. Yes, it was. Um, there had been quite a bit of litigation in the 70s in the Supreme Court on issues related to political party governance uh, at the national level, presidential uh, politics, presidential nominating conventions, uh, the state role in trying to adopt their own rules for uh, who would go to as delegates. Oh, yes. We thought it was an issue that was likely to get Supreme Court attention. Now, um, what... what? was the outcome of that case? Well, the outcome was that the Supreme Court reversed the lower court decisions and said that uh, parties had a fundamental right of association as representatives of their members, their people who registered as Republicans or Democrats or whatever the party. uh, So they had
1: the right to field their own candidates without interference. Correct.
0: And so the court uh, uh, basically threw out that state proposition, and we went back for a brief time to uh, what was a, uh, what, what's called a closed presidential primary system. The parties nominate candidates through the public primary process to run in the general election.
1: Until Mr. Maldonado came up with the uh, current system, which is stolen from Louisiana, more or less.
0: Yes, well, we we, we always called that one the jungle primary, yeah. uh, and that was a pejorative term that uh, meant it was all in all the time you know anybody who wanted to get in could do so now
1: uh, when you looked at the justices they didn't come down I mean today we kind of expect justices on the Supreme Court to come down on party lines Uh, I think that's the way the media uh, suggests things happen It, it it doesn't actually always happen that way but did you have any surprises as to which justices voted with you
0: Uh, Well, it was a seven to two decision and uh, pretty strong. So that, and, and that was at a time when, in terms of the partisan makeup of, you know, Mm -hmm. who had appointed those justices, uh, it was, it was more balanced. Um, So we felt that that was a pretty ringing endorsement of our position. Um, uh, Interestingly, though, uh, Justice Scalia, uh, who's now deceased, uh, Yes. uh, said in uh, in uh, uh, the opinion that of course uh, if a state chose to organize its primaries differently and he cited Louisiana as one uh, that might <laughs> oh, be no. a different matter so there was subsequent litigation in the latter part of the 2000s uh, a Washington state case uh, yes. uh, the principal one that uh, sustained the uh, notion of a uh, of a top two type of system that then became the model for that, that was uh washington state versus the granger
1: Grange. yeah 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 uh, that uh well anyway that's a case no election law lawyer likes <laughs> but anyway um, well let, let's uh talk a little bit about uh recent history and oh we have you know we have segments here so we may get cut off to do some business with uh, the news and some advertising, but over the last several decades now, the state of California has adopted... uh, Well, they've recognized that when it comes to legislators of any level, um, the people have recognized that legislators at any level, if they're talking about drawing the lines for their own districts, they have about as much restraint as a dog... You know, going by a fire hydrant. Um, and so, um, well, initially the people passed by initiative a measure that required the setting up of an independent citizens redistricting commission for the assembly districts and the state senate districts. And that was a big change. And I imagine you had a lot of. Uh, folks that you had to advise when that change occurred as to how it would be implemented and what the uh, risks and burdens might be as well as what the advantages might be. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well,
0: interestingly, uh, there were many attempts prior to the adoption of Prop 11 Mm -hmm. in 2008, many attempts to qualify redistricting initiatives uh, that failed. Uh, and all of those, uh, and I was involved in most of those. Uh, my my start in redistricting really was in 1980, 81, 82. And uh, the Republican Party, when I was a general counsel, pa- uh, promoted a referendum on congressional and legislative districts that were adopted by the Democratic majority and signed by Governor Brown to put those on the ballot uh, and we had hoped that under general referendum law, the uh, qualification of those measures would stay the uh, uh, placement of those things on the ballot for the 1982
1: election. Because ordinarily when you put a referendum on the ballot, the ordinance or the statute doesn't go into effect until after the public votes on it, right? That's
0: correct. Okay. Uh, but uh, the, the challenge with redistricting and districting generally is that Elections go on. So the question is if you succeed in qualifying a referendum. Do you do you stay that? Set of maps from going into effect for the next election or not Uh, In this case the state Supreme Court said not Uh, Those those districts enacted by the legislature would go into effect for the first election and you know if the referendum was successful uh, then legislature would have to do something different so uh, uh, that was 82 uh, in uh, 1986 uh, governor Duke Majin sponsored an initiative that I was intimately involved with writing and uh-huh. uh, that one got on the ballot and failed it was not presented at a time when uh, any and the, no referendum was involved this was a state ballot a initiative. straight initiative that the, Straight initiative. Where people yeah. had an up-and-down vote on it. Great. And uh,
1: there wasn't enough, uh, the circumstances weren't right, or there wasn't
0: enough uh, persuasive campaigning. Right. It didn't pass. Voters didn't approve it. Yeah. That happened with another one, uh, too, actually, 118 and 119, a few years later, huh. uh, that had a different structure. And uh, <clears throat> so redistricting was up in the air for decades. Uh, but uh, in, in 2008, uh, one qualified for the ballot. Uh, it was uh, co-sponsored by a wealthy individual named Charles Munger. Uh, his yes. mm-hmm. father uh, is kind of a partner with Warren Buffett in the financial business and investing business. And he was a deep-pocketed individual. But he combined with uh, Common Cause to uh, promote Uh, Prop 11, so it it passed. And uh, subsequently, because it didn't include congressional districts, uh, we had a dual system for, or prepared to have one for for one cycle, but they came back with one that added congressional districts. So in 2010, so in 2011, at the first redistricting, we had in place uh, an independent citizens redistricting commission with a whole set of rules about how they were organized and the criteria they would use for drawing lines, and
1: uh, how and did
0: that. how did you see those working uh, or not working? Where they they didn't? Well, uh, uh, the Republican Party supported Prop Eleven and Seventeen. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the Democrats were opposed to it, uh, but uh, and I think the theory was that. Uh, The voters should choose their politicians and not the other way around. Politicians should not have the power to choose their voters. So Proposition 11 set up a very elaborate scheme to have a very public uh, process with a lot of public input. They literally had 100 or more public hearings uh, to hear from citizens around the state about what they thought should be the composition of districts in their area and so forth. I think most people uh, who've
1: observed the evolution of the independent redistricting commissions have concluded that the districts that were drawn by those commissions were fairer in the sense that people uh, got to represent and choose their own elected officials and that the districts were less convoluted and uh, tied to trying to favor one side or another. Uh, is that your uh, conclusion?
0: Well, I think that they have, yes. Uh, okay. that they, And they have succeeded at that to a large extent. Uh, and, and
1: it's interesting that by 2018 or so, uh, about 2018, enough people in the state legislature had decided that that was the case, that uh, you saw a number of new statutes come into place, like the... Uh, 2019 authorization for counties to uh, adopt independent commissions for their districting of supervisorial districts and also the fair maps act also happened in 2019 Uh, and we're going to be coming up on a break here pretty soon but i'm hoping we can go into those uh, when we come back chuck